All right. Well, hey, good morning again, and uh, a happy Mother's Day to all of you. And like I said, if you were if you were listening at the beginning, uh, this is for moms today. But I'm going to do a little bit of a weird thing and kind of try to make all of us moms today. All right. Now, so all the like moms are like, yeah, right. You're not going to do that. Uh, you know. Uh, but uh, but it is like in that way. I want us to be thinking about uh, ourselves as spiritual mothers and fathers. The passage that we're going to look at today in 2 Timothy 1, 3 through 5 is all about Timothy's mom and grandma. Now his mom is named Eunice. Therefore, thank Eunice. Thank you, Miss. Ha, 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 ha. So really bad. But just uh, <laughs> the sense of being thankful for the moms in our life. And we're thankful for the role that Eunice and Lois had in Timothy's life. But we're also looking at how Paul is writing this letter to Timothy. And in this letter, he even calls Timothy my beloved son. And Paul is not the one that raised Timothy in his home, but he calls him my beloved son. And so he has this father-to-son relationship, this mentoring relationship with Timothy. And so you see this sense of spiritual fatherhood there from Paul to Timothy. And then there's this passing on of faith from Eunice to Timothy. And so we get a bit of this sort of all of the above kind of spiritual parenting in his life. And so today, as, as we look at this, I... I Think about some of the influential women in my life. And not to talk about them yet here in detail. I'll talk about some throughout this. But obviously my own mother, very influential. My wife, B, uh, incredible woman. Uh, my own daughters, Grace and Ella, these incredible young women of God. I think of all of the female Calvary pastors that are just amazing women of God. Uh, I think of a couple people. I don't know if you in your life ever had people that you called mom or mama that you didn't... Uh, you know, that weren't the ones raising you, like my friend's moms. I'd go over to their house, and there's a couple where I was at their house so much, I would just call them mom or mama or something like, something like that. So I remember uh, Susie Winger, and I remember Yo Hansen, a couple of these women that were like that for me, uh, that were just these women that were influential in my life. And then uh, Yo Hansen and her husband ended up doing the premarital counseling for, for B&I, and were just these incredible influences in our lives. Uh, my therapist's name is Jackie, and she is an awesome influence in my life as well. And then I think of someone like Sherry Shank, who is here, who is a, like a spiritual mother and a mother figure to, the, to our family, and to me, to my wife, like that, that kind of grandma figure to my girls. And it's awesome. Just you feel that love from someone that isn't the one that raised you, but can be that kind of role in your life. And it's very, very meaningful. And so today we talk about thanking Eunice. So we thank those women that have had that influence. And this passage we're going to look at, it's not just about Eunice and Lois. It has some other things that it talks about. There's three areas we can learn from and connect deeply with. Those that come before us, those that we're pouring into, and are even like these that are our friends, and then these women in our life. So let's, let's read the passage. If you haven't yet, turn there. In something, in a paper Bible or a device of some sort, 2 Timothy 1, 3 through 5. Now, if you notice, I don't know if you notice, like we took a little liberty here. This 
this, uh, we, we saved this one for today. <laughs> so three through five, we've already moved well past that down, uh, I think, all the way to maybe to 14. But we, we saved this one for today because it just works so good for Mother's Day. So three through five, it says, I thank God, Paul says, I thank God whom I serve with a clear conscience the way my forefathers did as I constantly remember you in my prayers night and day, longing to see you even as I recall your tears so that I may be filled with joy. For I am mindful of the sincere faith within you which first dwelt in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice. And I am sure that it is in you as well. All right. Awesome, awesome passage. So as we kind of look at the first point for this, we remind ourselves of this first verse. Okay, verse 3. I thank God, whom I serve with a clear conscience, the way my forefathers did, Paul says. So there's these forefathers that he's remembering as I, he says, as I constantly remember you, Timothy, in my prayers night and day. So there's a sense of learning from and considering those who came before you. These forefathers, even as you're passing it on to someone else, you're remembering those who came before you. Now, with Paul, one thing that's interesting to kind of think about with this is we know that Paul was a Pharisee, right? Paul was a Pharisee, this very devout, kind of rule-following, law-abiding kind of Jewish person. So he was very, uh, he was rigorously, vigorously devoted to the law and following it, even then he, himself to the point of for enforcing everybody else's following of those laws. And so we think about Pharisees as bad, right? They're sort of the bad guys, right? When we're reading about in the story of Jesus. Now we think of them as the bad guys because there's a lot of things that Jesus calls out in them. Jesus is calling them out for the way that they pray and that they go out and do it in front of everybody with showy words to look important themselves while not really as considering just the actual point of prayer of this, of this communion and, and, and talking with God. And so Jesus calls them out for all sorts of all sorts of ways that they that their faith is inauthentic, that their faith is fake, that their faith is that their faith is for all kind of the reasons that Jesus doesn't have. And Paul says, "Look, I serve with a clear conscience, the way my forefathers did. His forefathers did that by following the rules, by following the law." Now he does that, he has lived that, but he knows he also has this gospel of grace that he's preaching. And he's saying, hey, I'm not in prison because of this, you know, because of anything I've actually done. Of like, I've followed the rules, I've done what's right, but it's because I've preached this gospel of grace is why I'm in prison. And so I have this clear conscience in that. So Paul was most likely raised by Pharisees to become a Pharisee. And he's, but we're, we're used to thinking this is bad, but I think that there's a little bit in here for us to think of as good. I think we can kind of throw out everything when we're considering Pharisees, but the Pharisees were devoted to God. They really were, and they were very devoted to discipline and prayer, regular prayer. For him to say, I would pray night and day is something he learned from that kind of upbringing. That regular prayer for Timothy, that's really a good thing. It's a beautiful, wonderful, good thing that he does, was learned from his forefathers. 
So we need to learn from those that have come before us and recognize that maybe even some parts of that were bad, but what can we also glean from some of the, the, what's the good stuff that we can glean from that? And even like, it doesn't mean even all ritual is bad or all of these, like this law-abiding stuff, that's not all bad, but it can go wrong. And so for him, it's this beautiful thing. So I want young people to say, hey, I can learn from those who are older. I can. And then I want older people to be worth following and to believe that you are worth following. Now, one thing here with this younger, older, it's not just what you might think of as the youngest people in our church and the oldest people in our church. Younger to older could be a 15-year-old to a 23-year-old. Younger to older could be a 25-year-old to a 40-year-old or from a 60-year-old to an 80-year-old. You know, it, it doesn't, we all need to sort of open our minds to that sense of what is older to younger and recognize that none of us are finished. We're never done passing it on and we're never done learning. And so we want to have that sense of praying night and day. Night and day for those whom God has entrusted to us. Either that we're raising in our home or that God has entrusted us to raise spiritually. And you think, who prays more for someone than a parent does for their kids? Nobody. Nobody. It's, that's who prays most for anyone. By far, those who I pray for most every day are my two girls. That is by far, sorry to the rest of you, by far, that's who I pray for most. And I pray for them. I pray so much for them because I care for them so much. And Paul is doing that for Timothy. And he's reminding us it's these things that we do consistently every day that matter. Not just some big prayer event for Timothy. He didn't just put on some big prayer vigil that they're going to do all night and then, okay, we did it. No, it's what you do every day. If you want to get big, huge arms, you can't just go to the gym and just have one big power day, right? No, it's lifting every day, which I don't do. If you want to get healthy, like you need to eat right every day. It's not just like I'm going to make the most epic salad and then I'm good, right? I've got this. And no, we have to be able to eat healthy every day, which I struggle with doing. Uh, you know, and it's like if you're a writer, you write every day. If you want to make an impact, you pray every day. We pray night and day. And for us in our home, praying over our girls, it was praying that ironic benediction, that blessing I pray at the end of the service was something my parents prayed over me and it's something that I pray over them. Prayed it over them as they were young, pray it over them now. And it's a regular prayer for God to bless them, for God to keep them, which is this word that means to guard, to protect, to hold them close, for the face of God to shine upon them and for them to experience God's grace and his peace, that perfect shalom, that wholeness and oneness with God. That's my prayer for them. And I would sing it over them, actually, like all the time. I'd sing it over them, kind of combined with a lullaby to a tune of a U2 song. It worked. It was really good. Uh, but <laughs> I'm not going to do it now. I thought about doing it now, but I'm feeling like a little bit, uh, feeling a little bit parched, and I'm feeling a little bit scarred by what Ivan said about me a couple of weeks ago, that he also repeated at his church last week about my singing abilities, which was not kind, but <laughs> I'm working through it. No, but uh, it's just that, that kind of regular rhythm. So we, we pray night and day and we, we have this, this mindset that, man, I learned that 
I learned that from my parents. I pass that on to my kids. I hope they pass it on then, right? That is leaving that kind of legacy that Paul learned that devotion to prayer and he's passing it on to Timothy. We remember from our forefathers, even if they were Pharisees, okay? All right, now, the next part, this next verse uh, in the middle of this segment, it says, longing to see you, even as I recall your tears, so that I may be filled with joy. So you hear Paul like speaking about Timothy as like a, as someone that he loves so deeply, almost as a friend, because I think there is this, there is this like spiritual fatherhood, but then there's also this friendship that they have for one another. And so it's this sense of being willing to learn from, but be deeply connected to, and the need for our friends, but our brothers and sisters in Christ. We need one another so that we may be filled with joy. There's this longing that he has. Remember, Paul is in jail. Okay? Paul's in jail, and it's in jail again, and he's getting closer to the end of his life. It says that only Luke is there with him, that everybody else has abandoned him, and people are deserting him. People have betrayed him. And so he's got this feeling of betrayal and loneliness and abandonment, and he's just got only Luke. Poor Luke, you know, it's all I got is Luke. But, like, he's, this guy, he's like, I want you to come be with me. It's very... Uh, it's very authentic and normal sounding, even the way some of the, what he writes. It's relatable to me. It's just like, hey, will you come and will you bring my coat and will you bring some scrolls? It's like, it's kind of chilly and I'm bored. I need something to read, right? And so he's just like, hey, I guess feels very relatable to me of how Paul is. And it's also very tender. I recalled your tears. I'm longing for you to be with me so I could be filled with joy. And as I said in the first uh, sermon on this, this, whole, this whole series of Worth the Risk in 2 Timothy, that there's this whole uh, maturing uh, of Paul. Paul uh, is, is super blunt. Paul is super direct. Sometimes people feel Paul is kind of harsh. Like I feel like Paul in his earlier years was probably somebody that I really could learn from and I really like to read his stuff, but I don't know if he's a great hang. Okay, I don't know if Paul's that fun to hang out with. Like he's a little intense and a little drift focused, but he's telling you good things. But it seems like then as he's getting older, you see this softer, more tender, gentler side of him as he experiences suffering, as he's experiencing this loneliness. There's this tender side to him. And so there's part of this again is how are you maturing? How are you growing as you get older? As we get older, do our edges become harder or do they become softer? As we get older, do we become uh, sort of more grouchy or more loving? And so just to think that through, it's, it's hard because it's easy as we get older to become more cynical or to become jaded or to become cranky, all of that. But I think we can learn from Paul in this. And what's so cool is you have this, this whole thing where he says he wants him to come so that he may be filled with joy. Now, this has just given me an entry to talk about something I like to talk about a lot, and I don't care. I'm going to talk about it again. And it is the whole verse of the joy of the Lord is my strength, Nehemiah 8.10. So think about, I'm going to give you the briefest version of this that I can. All right. He wants Timothy to be with him so that he can be filled with joy. Now, Nehemiah 8.10, it's where you get this verse, the joy of the Lord is my strength. The people of Israel are just coming back from exile. They're trying to rebuild their, their city. They're trying to rebuild the temple and all of that. In the midst of that, there's 
there's division, there's attack, there's betrayal, there's suffering, there's really hard work. And in the midst of all of that, the word is God is read to them and they weep and they say, don't weep, have a party for the joy of the Lord is your strength. All right, so there's something where this joy from God will give me strength to get through all of that. Timothy, again, Paul's asking for Timothy to come to him in the midst of all what he's going through to be filled with joy. Now, that word for joy is only in the Bible two times. I'm hoping you start to, like, know this by heart, okay? This word is only in the Bible two times. The word is chedva. Say chedva. Okay, good job. The word is chedva. Now, that word for joy is only in the Old Testament two times. And both times, it's paired with strength. The other place it's used is 1 Chronicles 16, 27. And that's the story where the Ark of the Covenant, that the Ark is where the very presence of God dwells within that Ark. It had been in possession of the enemies of Israel, the Philistines. And they finally got it back. And it's making its way back up into their land and into the possession of the people of Israel. And David dances before the Lord and celebrates and worships as the Ark is coming back into their land. And as he does that, he also then writes a song. And one of the lines from that song is 1 Chronicles 16, 27, and it says, strength and joy are in his dwelling place. He sees the ark coming, and he says, strength and joy are found in his dwelling place, in that ark, which gets put in either the tabernacle, eventually the temple, And that's where the Holy of Holies is, where you go into the very presence of God. That's the place. That's the thing. Strength and joy are found in that. Because that's where God dwells. Now, the thing that happens next is when Jesus comes, he dies. He comes back to life again. He ascends into heaven. The Holy Spirit is given to all of those who believe in Jesus. And when the Holy Spirit is given, then God indwells every believer God dwells within every person that believes and follows Jesus. And so therefore, no longer does God dwell in tents and arks and temples, but God dwells within each and every one of you. And the scriptures say, when we are gathered together, especially, we are that temple of God. We are the dwelling place of God. And so when we are in the presence of one another, we are in the presence of God. The very presence of God is there. And that is part of what Paul, I think, is longing for as he sends for Timothy because he longs to be filled with joy, but God's joy that gives him strength. God's joy strengthens him when he's in prison, when he's abandoned, when he's betrayed. That is what will strengthen him for what he has to endure for the rest of his days. Is the presence of fellow believers that bring joy that strengthens us. And we need our friends. We need those that we mentor. We need those that mentor us. We need all of us together to have that kind of joy. All right. Next. We first, we, we learn and we experience from our forefathers, from our friends or those that, we're, that God has entrusted to us. And then the last part. For I am mindful of the sincere faith within you, which first dwelt in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice. And I am sure that it is in you as well. It's pretty awesome. 
this verse of like, I've seen this sincere faith in your grandma, I've seen it in your mom, and now I see it in you. I'm sure it's in you and well, you as well. So we learn from the women in our life. We learn from these moms and these spiritual moms that God has placed in our life. And so we remember them. We look to their faith. Now, let's think about Timothy for a moment here. Timothy, his mom, okay, Eunice, so we thank Eunice. Now, if we go back to Acts 16, I'll just read Acts 16, 1 and 2. It says this, Paul came also to Derby. Let me just preface this real quick. I think most of you know this, but I want to explain that the book of Acts is the story of the early church. It's the story of what's happening, and then these other, most of the other books of the New Testament are these letters written into these places and people and to help them. It's kind of like a zoom in. The letter like zooms in on one part, and then the next part of some commands and, and thoughts and, and, and encouragements and all that for them. Uh, and so this is in that whole story of what's happening, and this is the part where Paul meets Timothy. Paul came also to Derby and to Lystra. And a disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer. But his father was a Greek, and he was well spoken of by the brethren who were in Lystra and Iconium. Paul wanted this man to go with him. And so you see here, you're sort of introduced then to Eunice, even though she's not named. But that's Eunice. His mom was a Jewish woman who was a believer in Jesus. Now that's pretty like most of the people, like the first people that were getting saved were Jewish people that were, then they would become a believer in Jesus. Jesus is the Messiah that they were waiting for and longing for. So they just believe that that is true. And so you've got, he's explaining how, okay, his mom's a Jewish believer, but his dad is a Greek. Doesn't kind of tell you more about him. Was he a Greek believer in Jesus? Doesn't give you that, that next line. But he's got like these different cultures, different traditions, different ethnicities, different stuff going on in his home. But we see, you know, the, the letter, Timothy doesn't say, the faith that I saw in your dad, you know, Jonathan. No, that's too normal. I don't know, I should have thought of a better name there for that one. But, <laughs> uh, but you know, but he doesn't say anything about the faith of his father, but it speaks of the faith of his mother and his grandmother. And so you see this influence in his life. And this this letter was probably written in about the mid-60s, just the actual first 60s. Um, and so just the 0060s, right? And so this letter is written in the mid-60s. You think like it's about 30-ish years after Jesus' resurrection and ascension. So after all of that happens, you've got, this is just written like 30 years later or so. So it's not like his lineage, his Christian lineage goes back for forever. We don't know when Eunice or Lois got saved, but it was somewhere in that little window of time. So he's got this legacy, this spiritual generational legacy in his family, but we know it all had to have started in the sense of, of Jesus following somewhere in that little 30-year window of time. So it's not like it's been forever. It's not like it's been this 100 years of Christian tradition in his family and all that. There was only so much Christian tradition that existed at this time. Not a lot. And so anyway, like within this family, you have this legacy, but they must have gotten saved somewhat recently. So what I want you to understand in this is 
even if you don't have that kind of spiritual generational legacy, you can start that and it can be this rich, this fast. It really can be. It doesn't have to be something that if you didn't have that, that's okay. You can be the one that breaks the cycle and starts that. Because a lot of us feel like I've got more generational sin in my lineage than I have generational faith. And that is possibly and likely true for a lot of us. But we can see here that that can break. That can change. And we can begin a new cycle. We can begin a new legacy within all of that. And I believe that moms have a huge role and influence in all of that. And so I want us to listen to our mom, whether that's our mom that raised us or our spiritual mom. Today, that command is listen to your mom. I see some people kind of smirking, looking at their mom. Yeah, that's right. Listen to your mom. (laughs) And we want to do that. We need to do that. We want to listen to our moms. I was just, it's, it's interesting this relationship that a mom can have with a child. I was just talking, I was on a run yesterday, I was on Esplanade Trail, and I ran into a guy that's part of our church, and he's telling me, he's like, Eric, this week it was so awesome. Uh, my daughter prayed to receive Christ. And it's just this, such a beautiful celebration when I was, I was running and panting and clapping at the same time and just praising God with him. And he was so excited, and he said, you know, it's, it started with... My, it was my daughter was in the room with my wife, and it was daughter and mother. And he said, there's just something about the way they're able to talk to each other that's special. There's something that was beautiful and special in the way they can talk to each other. He said, then I came in, and I was part of it, but there was this tenderness between them that was special. And it was a beautiful thing and a beautiful moment. And I, I see that in our family. I have a huge influence with my girls, but B has this relationship with them that is special. And I think about the, the relationship that, uh, that my wife has, that my mom had. It is this sense of, I want to call it the strength of a mama bear with the tenderness of a mama bird. Okay, it's the strength of a mama bear with the tenderness of like the mama bird with her wings and just kind of loving and, and, and holding tight and close. But if you get too close and you're not supposed to be, mama bear is going to come out, right? Mama bear is going to come out and take you out. And so there's this strength and this tenderness. And I think that's one of the beautiful things that I see in the women that are influential in my life. And I think about some of these. I think about these Women that are the pastors, these Calvary pastors that are female here, Shannon, Aaron, Courtney, Mary Jane, Danica, Paula, Crystal, and Desiree, these women are worth following. These women have an incredible faith. They've got the mama bear strength as well as the mama bird tenderness. And they are worth following. If you don't Know them well, get to know them. If you know them, dive deeper into relationship with them and to mentoring by them because they are worth following. I think about my wife B as I've just as I've mentioned and how she teaches our girls and how she ministers to them and just prays for them and, and, and is able to hold them and have these conversations with them. Also even in her uh, in her job, so my wife's a high school English teacher. 
And I think that she models so well. I, I call B like more of uh, not just a high school English teacher, but I think she's a youth pastor that lives out her pastoring in a classroom. <laughs> she's a youth pastor in a classroom at a school. That's what she does. And she's living that out and showing my girls how to care for people, how to teach them, and how to minister to them no matter where we are. And I think for all of us, think about your place of work. If you can think about your place of work as a, as a youth pastor, it's even kind of cool, uh, as a youth pastor in that setting. But as a pastor in that office or in that place, wherever that is that you work or act every day, how can you live out a pastor, evangelist, missionary in that setting? I think about, I knew this was going to be hard, I think about my own mom. It's another thing you guys know, I'll cry if I start talking about my mom. <laughs> um, my mom died about four and a half years ago, and uh, man, these kind of days, you miss her a lot. I'm sure there's a lot of you that are thinking about your moms and missing them a lot. And, you know, my mom had this strength of her. She was fierce. She was scary sometimes. Um, but she was, she was tender. She totally was that mama bear, mama bird thing. And, you know, she was a marriage family therapist. And if you, down in South Orange County, and it's like, I, just all the time, all the time I, I see people, talk to people like, oh, your mom saved her marriage. Oh, oh, you're, you're Betty Wakeling's son. It just happened to my dad this week. Oh, was Betty Wakeling your wife? Yeah, oh, she saved her marriage. Like just so many people she impacted. She, was, she taught spiritual gift classes at her church. She was a prayer warrior. Um, probably a little more charismatic than we're used to here, uh, <laughs> honestly. Um, and it was awesome. But, like, all that stuff was so awesome, but, you know, I always say the things, the things that I remember most are, like, sitting, gosh, what am I doing to myself here? <laughs> Sorry. Um, but sitting on a couch, like, rubbing each other's feet and just talking, you know. I remember oatmeal chocolate chip cookies. And I remember little egg burritos for breakfast. It's these everyday things. And my mom showed me what it meant to care for people and to be like this person that's doing ministry, but to care about the little things more and care about your family more, right? My mom taught me that. And, and man, yeah, just I love her and I miss her so much, but she taught me so much of what this looks like. And what I want you to see in all of this is how a mother can have a spiritual influence on a child. Each and every one of us should and can be living that out in the life of someone that God has placed before us. All of us. This is for all of us. Paul to Timothy, Eunice to Timothy. We live this out. And this is a generational believing family that we see here of, of Lois to Eunice to Timothy. And I want to remind you that you can have this legacy whether you're raising children in your home or not. 
whether you ever have or not, whether you're done doing that or whatever stage of life you're in, you can have this kind of legacy. You can be this kind of person. If you didn't receive it, you can be this person to your own kids and grandkids, but you can be that in the, the house that you are living within, but you can be that within the house of God. You can be that spiritual influence, that mother or father in this family of God. We believe that we are the family of God. And so we need spiritual mothers within this family. And sometimes you can have an even bigger impact on these people in this family than you can even in your own family. Sometimes they'll listen to you a lot more than the people in your own family will. Uh, you know, as you can have that kind of influence in their lives. I heard recently about someone that cried harder when their spiritual mother died than even when their, the mother that raised them died because of the impact that that person had in their life. I love that we can have this at any stage of life. I love that no matter where we are in that, we can do this. Uh, I want to invite up uh, somebody that's, that's been living this out in a really cool way, and that's Chris Couchman. So Chris Couchman, would you come on up? Longtime member of Calvary. <clears throat> living out this whole notion of spiritual motherhood, but... Uh, in its own unique way, right? And so, hi, <laughs> good to see you. So I'd love for you just to share a little bit of like with who and what did some of that look like that you're talking about? Yeah. Okay. So I'm not the spiritual mother. It's just let's start there. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, I have had a relationship with Betty Yamirian for the past about 10 years or so. Yeah. And so it's just been recent. And um, she... We knew of each other from the first year I came here in 1974, but we're 20 years difference in age, so we really didn't have any reason to be with each other or do things together or yeah. anything. And so um, somewhere in the last 10 years, she was coming into the library, and yes, we do have a church <laughs> That's library. Right. That's and right, and Chris volunteers in that library across over there. And it's open before church and after church, so please come. That's good. So um, get my plug there in there. There you go. That's fine. I like it. <laughs> so um, she was coming in for books, and we would just start talking, and uh, she was asking very pointed questions like, how are you? Hmm. Not how are you? But I want to really know how you are. And so it became easy for me to um, pursue a relationship with her and call her. And um, we started reviewing the past week, looking towards the next week, what's going on. And if I had something that was important to me happening, she would always call me after the event and say, how did it go? I've been praying for you, and, you know, I need to know how my prayers yeah. were answered. So, so um, good. Yeah. Tell me more about her praying for you and kind of like what you've experienced or not in that. Yeah. So I did not have a Christian mom. Mm -hmm. So having somebody pray for me every day, and I know she prays for me every day, which yeah. is huge. Yeah. Um, when you were talking about the joy of the Lord, yeah. it's being with her there's the joy of the Lord. Mm. And I know she's praying for me. I know that God listens. <laughs> yeah. 
she's she's an amazing Christian, and um, so I can ask her to pray for me in all kinds of situations. Um, when I w- I only got to really know her after I was retired, and so my ministry here was changing, and mm-hmm. I was starting to do some teaching at um, Tuesday morning Bible study for women, and I would ask her to listen to what I was going to say and critique me or whatever. (laughs) And then I knew she would pray for me. I Mm. knew she would um, remember to pray consistently and then ask me afterwards how it went. I think it's so beautiful to know that you can know that someone is praying for you every day, right? You know, and yes, so that like in that example that I gave, when I'm teaching... I, if I get flustered or whatever, I can say, wait, she's praying for me. I know God has this. I yeah. know that I have that prayer support. So it makes a difference. When, if I've asked her for a relationship issue and I'm then in that time with that person yeah. and things are starting to get a little bit mm, dicey, <laughs> I can stop and say, no, I know she's praying for me. I know God has this. I know this is of God. And it just changes yeah. my attitude. Even. Yeah, yeah. Well, I just think, first of all, I, I think it is so cool that you, you raised your kids, you did all of that, you said you were retired, and then you said, oh, I can have this person to be, a, and I know you don't use this term, but like this spiritual mom right, to right. me, but now at this stage of life, you weren't done, you weren't thinking like, I'm just the one to help everybody else now. No, it's like you still are being poured into, so just super proud of you for continuing to be in that, and I think the example that that is to all of us. Well, I definitely need her. So absolutely, no absolutely. About that. So awesome. Okay, yeah. thank you so much, Chris. Thank Appreciate you. it. Yeah, let's give her thanks. <laughs> I, so just really seriously, for real, like I love this. I love that. I love that Chris has Betty. That is her spiritual mom, mentor, role, person in her life. And so I want to remind us that we are all family. We are all a family and we're living out family as a church. That's what we're doing. We even say as part of our vision, Calvary Church seeks to be a family that is better together. That we would live this life of being a family that is better together. That we encourage one another. We're helping one another along on that journey. And so for you to think about who are those people in your life? Who are the people that you have to look to, that you have to be able to look towards, like your Lois, your Eunice, your Betty, Marion, whoever that is in your life, I want us to thank them. Thank the Eunices in our life, whether that's our mom, but especially if it's those spiritual moms that we have in our life. Maybe that's you just ignore me now and send them a text or write yourself a reminder and like email yourself right now or something and tell yourself to remember to thank those people and express that thanksgiving to them and to God for what they've done in your life. And for us to remember that we can, like, these sorts of things that we do, like with Chris and with Betty, with whatever, all, this, all these other relationships that we have here, these are legacies that you can leave for generations. And that your decisions now about this 
are worth the risk. It's worth the risk for you to go to someone and ask them to be that spiritual mom in your life. If you're lacking in that, to ask someone for that or dad in your life, ask them. It's worth the risk. It feels risky to do that. It's worth it. It's worth it to offer that to someone if you have a sense that God is calling you to do that for someone else. To offer yourself to be that for them. That feels risky. It's worth the risk. And it can have generational impact for the kingdom of God. Amen? Come on, people. There we go. Yeah, yeah. I got used to it last week. I need a little bit more. All right. So that's that's what it is for us to remember today that we can be spiritual mothers to others and we all need spiritual mothers in our life. And so what I want to do now as a form of response is I want to pray over, and today especially, I want to pray over all of the women of our church. I want to pray over all of you and commission you in your role as spiritual mothers. This has absolutely Well, I shouldn't say absolutely nothing to do with. It has a lot to do with if you have people in your home that you're doing that for, we'll pray for that. If you have people that God is putting in your heart and mind right now, pray for that. If you have people that you are that kind of mentor role to think of yourself in this way, to pray for that. So what I'd like to do, as uncomfortable as it might be, I hope it's worth the risk, is I'd love all the women in the room to stand. All the women in the room to stand. You can do it. I believe in you. You're like, ugh, got to put my stuff down. Yeah. I want to pray a prayer of commissioning over you in your role as spiritual mothers to the people that God has entrusted to you. Let's pray together. Almighty God, I thank you for the women of Calvary Church. These fierce mama bears and tender mama birds. Thank you, Lord, for each one in this room and the roles that you have called them to fulfill in the lives of the people that you have placed before them, God. I pray for the young women that there are kids a little bit younger than them, God. I pray for the people that feel in the middle, for the people a little younger than them. I pray for the people that are a little bit older, God, for the people a little bit younger than them. God, I pray that every single woman in here would recognize and believe in the calling that you have called them to, to be a spiritual mother in the life of a person in this church or outside of it, God, that they can love, that they can challenge, that they can teach, that they can pray for night and day, God. I pray, Lord, they could have impact for generations in helping raise spiritually the lives of the people that you've entrusted to them. So we commission each one of them now for that purpose. May we all believe in the purpose that you have called each one of us to in that, God. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's all join them as we worship our God and stand together.